The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Listen fast today. We got a lot to do. You'll see that note sheet in the back of your program, you can tell. So you got to listen fast to, uh, and keep up. Uh, Paul tells us here in this case that he's making, the case for the way of Jesus, it's like a courtroom drama, not just a letter or a book that we are reading. He says, look, people deny God's existence both by their intellect and by, by their behavior, by how, by how they live their lives. And because we do that, uh, it says they know God, we don't worship him as God or even give him thanks. Instead, we begin to get crazy ideas of what God's like, and we trade God for idols. Make this, this crazy, ridiculous like exchange that's there. We reject God and deny his existence and all that. Uh, it reminds me of a quote. Some of you have heard this quote before uh, by a comedian. He said, I believe teenagers are God's revenge on mankind. It's like he said, hey, let's see how they like it to create something in their own image that rejects them and denies their existence. <laughs> yeah, we trade God for idols. Now, we hear that and think, okay, well, we don't do that. We're civilized. We're in the year 2024 in the West. We don't have little shrines and idols in our homes. That's kind of like, that's maybe for them back then. Uh, and what we've discovered, though, as you study sociology, anthropology, and all those are ologies, that all idolatry is, those statues are, are just physical embodiments of what a particular people group values the most. So whatever they think is most important, if sensuality and sexuality is their god or goddess, they'll put those kind of images up. You'll see some images up here on the screen. I didn't put those images up on the screen because they're pornographic. But images, if you, if, if you got power and control, you want all power and control, yeah, I want to get for stuff like that. Power and control becomes all about gods of war and power and dominance. If it's money, a lot of times those gods would be gods of agriculture because that's back then how everybody made their money. Uh, they have all those different representations of that. And what happens with that is then what, in, in essence, what idolatry is, is God, you're not God. I'm God. I want to be God. It reminds me of the difference between dogs and cats. Uh, human beings, dogs are amazing. Um, Human beings are like cats. A dog, a dog looks out there and says, he, he gives me a place to live. He gives me food. He cares for me. He must be God. A cat says, he gives me a place to live. He, he, he feeds me. He cares for me. I must be God. <laughs> That's the cats and dogs. And all you cat people out there, my email address is beth at gotocrosspoint.com. All that kind of stuff and more. It's crazy too. And we will get out there and think, okay, we don't do that crazy thing at shrines. Because you go all over the world, even today. Christian shrines, Jewish shrines, Muslim shrines, Buddhist shrines. And people are there, right? And they have their hands clasped. And they're doing this. And you can see this. You got, I went to, got a chance to go to Israel a few years ago. And they're there at the, whale, at the, at the wall of Jerusalem putting shrines. And they're, and they're doing this. And we think all that. And I think if somebody was studying us, like an alien was studying our culture... We'll go, oh, they've got more sophisticated their idolatry because their idols are now portable. So we're thinking this. And they would think, based on how much time we spend on this, doing this, they're going to think you must worship that thing. It doesn't look all that different than uh, worshiping actual shrines. We, today, uh, we don't worship the goddess Aphrodite as an image, but young women 
are driven to depression and disorders over an obsessive concern over their body and their appearance. The pleasure of appetites, like food and sexuality. I got a chance here uh, back in December to go over to England and spend Christmas with some family over there. This is a meal we had in one of these restaurants there. Look at it right there. Now, Denise took the picture, so her food is featured. Forget about here in the foreground. That background back there, that's called whiskey peppercorn top sirloin. It was a religious experience. It was un. It was unbelievable. And sitting out there, I actually had a moment where I go, God's just amazing. Because he could have just told us, hey, to feed you, I'm going to give you supplements and food and whatever, and just eat it and give you the nutrition and all the stuff you need. But instead, he lets us experience flavors, like crazy flavors, that kind of flavor, The, the the pleasure of sexuality and sex and all that. God could have said, we're going to procreate the human race, and here's how we're going to do it, whatever. He didn't have to make it soul-altering pleasure. He could have said, that's what you do. It's what he gives us, these great pleasures. And instead of worshiping, being grateful to God and worshiping God, we go, thank you, God, very much for all these pleasures of sensuality and all that. We're going to make this thing the God of my life and revolve our whole life around that. We don't build incense to Artemis anymore, the God of, of, of money and, and, and prosperity, but we will sacrifice our family, sacrifice relationships, and sometimes sacrifice our children. Some of you were sacrificed on the altar of your mom and dad's success, and they're climbing up the ladder. And the other one, the one that's probably the most obvious in our culture, is this human longing for true love. We just want love, and love and sensuality, sexuality is magnified to a stunning degree. We look to sex and romance and love and partnership and all that in ways that feel like you're singing religious songs. And all you have to do is just watch the films and listen to the music. Like, for example, I'll throw up my mouth a little bit when I say it. You complete me. <laughs> the, uh, the old school song, I can make it in the 40s or 50s. You're nobody till somebody loves you. And then more recently, not recent, recent, but a little go, a bit ago, Shania Twain. I just put my iP- uh, was listening on my phone yesterday working in the yard, and this song just kind of came on the random playlist. From this moment, talking about this person, you know, life has begun. Any Shania fans out here? Maybe a couple of you, yeah. From this moment, you are the one. Right beside you is where I belong. From this moment, I've been blessed. I live only for your happiness. And your, for your love, I give my last breath. More recently, just Googling, uh, since Taylor Swift is everywhere anymore, I Google some of her songs, uh, some of the lyrics there. And again, these are not bad things. These are just how people are expressing how much we love love and how much we made it central to our identity. Uh, she says there in one of her songs, I would fall from grace just to touch your face. Uh, I can't let you go. Your handprint is on my soul. If you heard that song, you would think, that sounds like we're talking about God. And yet we enshrine relationships and the pleasure of all that. Money and possessions is one way we do it here. And our shrine anymore is right up there. (laughs) Contents may cause happiness. They're they're just saying may because they don't want to be called out. Because the truth is we think it, right? The contents will cause happiness. You know what that feels like to get that Amazon thing dropped on your door? 
It's awesome and it's amazing. And you know what idolatry is? is You have to keep going back to it and back to it and back to it. Because how long does that joy and happiness work when you get that package delivered? Depending on what it was. But after a while, you keep going back and reorder and reorder and reorder. Our hearts deify someone or something as central to our lives, to idolatrous proportions. They take our, our, the human heart's fondest desires and joy. And we sometimes think, you're hearing this today going, okay, idols are bad. Idols are almost never bad at, at the core of what they are. Because Paul says this, we are taking something that we should be grateful for, and instead of being grateful for it, we worship it. Um, the idolatry, up on the screen, is it up there, the definition to go up? Idolatry is treasuring something more than I treasure God. Whatever I look to in my heart, if I have that, if I could just get that, I would feel like my life has meaning, I'll have value, I'll feel significant, I'll feel complete. When anything besides God becomes more fundamental to your happiness, to your meaning in life, and to your core identity, then it's become an idol. I read a book years ago because I heard a talk podcast. A guy was talking about this, all this stuff with idolatry. Uh, The screenshot will be up here. It's a book by Tim Keller. Anything that guy writes, you should read. Anything. It's a short little book. This one will be fairly easy to read. It's called Counterfeit Gods. And in there, he takes some time. And a lot of my content today came from this and several other talks that I did. But Counterfeit Gods says this. It says, well, you can look at our culture and find, like, workaholism, uh, climbing the corporate ladder, um, sex, money, pornography, whatever those kind of things are. We think, oh, those are the idols of our culture out there. And they certainly are. But those are what they call in the book, surface idols. Those things at the top that we can see that are readily apparent and obvious. But what Keller makes the case for, and this has been going on now for a couple of thousand years as he studied all kinds of early church fathers, is there's four source idols underneath. Four like springs that give rise to all these other little springs that pop up above the surface. There's four big water sources of those four root systems. They are there on your note sheet. You'll see them there. They function as dysfunctional saviors. Uh, Comfort, power, control, and approval. Comfort, power, control, and approval. And what these idols will tell us is my life only has value and meaning. I only have worth if I whatever. And we'll take some time today to take a look at this and put a chart together here. Uh, Don't put that quite up just yet. Hold on for a second. Uh, on that. We're, we're a little ahead. Um, but since we're there, comfort. Comfort is all you. Yeah, life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have a particular kind of pleasurable experience. If I have, here's what it is in our culture today, quality of life becomes the thing. And nothing wrong with quality of life, but when that becomes central to everything you are and do. And so the, each of these idols have a price tag. Because you think if you serve this idol, it's going to give something to me. You know what they do? They give you a little bit and say, now pay me. Here's the price tag you'll pay if this becomes your uh, particular idol, if you discover this is yours. Uh, there'll be a nightmare, a kind of a nightmare scenario that you're going to avoid at all costs. And then it's it always idolatry. We sometimes think, well, my deal is my deal. Just go away, Steve. Leave me alone. What, what business of yours would I worship the privacy of my own home? The tricky part is idolatry always impacts people in your closest relationships, and there's always, there's always a problem emotion, a particular one that goes off on the emotional dashboard of your, 
life. Here's the deal. With, with uh, the idolatry of comfort, uh, the price tag you put up on the screen here is it's productivity. If you value comfort and pleasure, you're not going to get anything done. You're just going to have fun, live for that. So productivity is what you will, uh, that's the price tag, what you have to make the sacrifice to this God for. Um, the nightmare scenario for someone, if this is you today, is if your God is comfort, is stress and demands on you. Stress and demands, just make, I don't want that, I just want quality of life, just calm down, I want to take it easy. Uh, the impact on people is people will feel neglected and hurt because when it's all about my pleasure and my comfort, what do I care about you? What do I care about you? And also what will happen too is your relationships, even the ones that are core to your life, core to your life will tend to be shallow. Because here's what I know about relationships. Those of you that have been in a relationship ever in your life know this. Relationships take work to be good. It's not always pleasure and comfort and fun and excitement and joy and happiness. There's some real work that has to happen in there. And your problem emotion, if this is you, is boredom. You will do whatever it takes not to be bored. Now, quick little side note on this. This is we're doing this today is to show tendencies that are out there to help you figure out what your deal might be. This is not for you to look at the person you're sitting next to and go, I know yours. Because that next idol is all then about power. If that's you and you're doing that right now, your god or goddess, your idol might be power. The, the price tag of power says this. It says this, life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have power and influence over other, now, others. Now, look, guys, power and influence, leading things, not a problem. But when it becomes like my life only has meaning if I have that, the, the price tag here is you feel burdened, you bear responsibility, and you are stressed out. That's the price tag of wanting power to success and win and have influence. The nightmare scenario for you, if this is your, if this is your deal, is humiliation. Because the one thing you cannot stand is you can't even say it. Not winning. You can't even say the word losing. I'm not going to lose. I'm going to win no matter what. The impact on people, of course, when you're all about power and success and winning influence is people feel used by you because it's all about you getting to where you need to be. And it doesn't matter who I have to use. It doesn't matter who I have to run over. Some of you are in marriages like this. You work for bosses like this. You've been in situations like this where it just feels like I just feel used. Like they don't really care about me. All they care about is what I do for the bottom line and for them. Your problem emotion, if power and success is yours, is anger. Because when it doesn't work, we know about it. The next one, control. The idol of control says, life only has meaning. I only have worth if I am able to get mastery over my life in the area of discipline, certainty, and standards. The price tag for this one is loneliness and spontaneity. When it's all about control, you cannot ever change your plan because I have to have control. And forget about real life and how my kids got sick, or how something happened in my company, I'm going to control this thing, and so you will, uh, you will uh, do, do whatever you can to, to make sure things aren't uncertain. Uh, the impact on people is that people will feel condemned. Did I admit? Nightmare scenario. Uncertainty, I'm sorry. Thank you. Uncertainty. I don't have very much control today. <laughs> Uncertainty 
is the deal because it, it, I'm, I'm not, I, I, if I, I have to be able to figure everything out. If I don't have it all figured out, all in control, then I, I, uncertainty, and I'm telling you right now, full disclosure, for those of you who know me, this is mine, my tendency right here. Some of you that know me go, you didn't have to tell us that, pal, we knew. Um, and the, the tricky part is that uh, people feel condemned like they never measure up. Some of you were raised by parents like this. Some of you, again, in relationships like this, it can be all about a boss that never encourages, a boss that never helps out, just you never measure up, we can always be better, never celebrating the win. And your problem emotion, if control is your idol, is worry. You're just worried all the time. Am I ever going to be able to get control? And, oh, no, no, not just am I get control, I've got control, am I going to lose it? Am I going to lose it? I've got to keep control here and manage things and micromanage things and micromanage what I've micromanaged the uh, fourth one is approval. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I am loved and respected by, and just think about who those important people in your life might be. Whether it's kids, spouse, someone, if you're single today, I just need to find someone. Because again, you're nobody till somebody loves you. You want that so, so badly. The, the problem with approval being your God the price tag they make you sacrifice to is independence. Independence is because you can't be, have your own mind and your own thoughts because you care so much of what people think about you. You become the classic psychological thing is codependent. I have to have them like me no matter what. Uh, your nightmare scenario is when people is rejection. Is that people reject you even for good reasons. This is like like you, you took a stand on something or you, you're, you're doing the right thing here and they reject you, you will compromise your values just to have somebody like me. I cannot stand the idea of people rejecting me for that. Uh, the, the impact on people, two things that happen here. You will smother people in relationships. Here's why. Like the classic Jerry Maguire one, you complete me. Sounds great in a movie. You know how overwhelming that is? When you have to complete me? Some of you have been in relationships like this, right? Where like, dude, I, it didn't matter what I did. She just, or he just kept coming and coming and needed more. And need, it was never enough. It was never enough. It was never, ever, ever enough. People will feel smothered. And then here's what you will do. You will, if, if you want people's approval, you will overcommit without follow through. You will overcommit. Because you, here's why you overcommit. You want people to like you. So you keep telling people, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Yes, I can. And some of you know you're people like this and you're married to people like this. They keep saying yes, yes, yes. You go, I wish you would say no once in a while and just follow through on three things. Not keep saying yes on everything, but because you so badly want the, they like me and they approve of me and all that. Your problem emotion is cowardice. Because you're not going to take a stand. You're not going to put boundaries in relationships because people have to like me. I, I am nobody uh, if, if you don't approve and love me. That's a big cross-section there of what idolatry kind of looks like in the real world that we live in. So Paul in Romans says, uh, at, in verse 23, instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols, make them look like people, birds, animals, reptiles, and even we have idols of our heart. We just unpack that here a bit. It says, so what did God do? God rained down fire and lightning on them. You know what it says? You know what it says there? God abandoned them to do whatever they wanted. You know what God's response to idolatry is? 
give me everything I want. You want my stuff and you don't want me? You want to be a consumer and consume relationships and power and success and approval and, and pleasure and comfort? You want all that? Go ahead. And what we will discover in that is that the dream of, uh, we get this, and at the beginning, idolatry is amazing because there's a rush at the beginning. This feels so good. It feels so awesome, but it doesn't last. And then the dream turns to disappointment. Disappointment will lead to depression, and ultimately we'll discover is these idols destroy us because they keep coming for us and they keep coming for us and they keep coming for us. God goes, I don't have to judge you for that. I'll just let you go and let you figure out what it feels like. If you say, go away and leave me alone, God goes, all right. I'll let you worship those gods. And it seems so amazing and so exciting. In Ecclesiastes, uh, it's a book in your Bible. If you find Psalms, go to the Miller Bible, go to Psalms, and then turn right, and you'll find uh, Proverbs, Song of Songs, uh, Ecclesiastes. The theme song for idolatry comes from Sheryl Crow. If it makes you happy, three of you know the lyrics, it can't be that bad. Like, come on. If it makes you happy, who cares? It can't be that bad. You know what the next line is? If it makes you happy, then why the f- are you so sad? Because the truth is, it doesn't last. That sense of all the happiness that, I, that idols will give you, it just will not last for you. Solomon, smartest, richest guy at his time, had, had all the pleasure, had all the relationships, had all the power and success and control. He had all of these things. And he writes about it toward the end of his life and said, I had everything. I did, and he, read Ecclesiastes sometimes. You want to be depressed. Because um, in there he says this. In chapter 2, verse 9. It'll be up here on the screen. He says, I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. You know what that, that's called right there? The American dream. That's what you want. You want it all. He says, and not only that, I even found great pleasure in hard work. So he wasn't just as consumeristic, just debauchery, just kind of consuming everything. He said, I worked hard too. Found great joy and pleasure in that. Verse 11, but as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Aren't you happy you came to church today? <laughs> Romans does get better. I'm going to tell you, um, he, he's, going to, he's going to tell us here, man, idolatry, it, it just, it's not going to work for you. It sounds so good and so sweet and so amazing. And then we have modern day prophets, a guy named Lloyd from a film called Dumb and Dumber. Also Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey said it this way. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Uh, Tom Brady, greatest quarterback so far in the history of football, says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. 
And we think, oh, that wouldn't be me. I could get all the success, all that, you know, $8 jillion in, what is it, seven Super Bowls, six? I've lost track. And then from the one great films of all time, Fight Club, Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden in the film. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need. We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great wars, a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact, and the fact is we're very, very pissed off. That's what idolatry will do to you. You'll discover it doesn't work. It makes you mad, at least a disillusion, disappointment, and all that kind of stuff. And God goes, if you want that, you can have it. And Paul's going to tell us here, idolatry is this universal thing that goes on since the beginning of time it's been going on, and it exists even in our culture today. And some of you are sitting here today going, well, Steve, I know we have some issues we may go a little too far with, you know, maybe we love something too much or all that. So I don't know if I like this, making us feel like we're all idolaters here. And I go, just take it easy for a second. I'm, I'm sorry if you're feeling that today because really, my, my goal here is not to make you feel like you're idolaters. My, my goal here is to tell you that you are idolaters. <laughs> you just are, pal. We just are. It's, Paul's going to tell us it's what we do over and over. We take someone or something else and put it in the place of God, thinking that somehow it can do that, and it just never works. And so, if you've got to this place today where you go, okay, I recognize it. I have a problem here with idolatry. And my problem is not the idol-worshipping person I am married to, or the idol-worshipping person in my life, my kids. It's me. I have tendencies towards this. Our response to idolatry is not a good one, but it it feels good at the beginning. We're going to call it self-righteous trading. Self-righteous trading, it mean, here's what it means. I mistake repentance and turning to God, and I just trade idols instead. There's all kinds of ways. Tim Keller talks about it in the book, all kinds of scenarios. Here's the classic one. Some of you were in families like this. Some of you were a parent like this, where, man, we are, we are, we are working hard for success, for power and pleasure and comfort and all that stuff, and we're doing it. And we're climbing that ladder, and we're making the money. We've, we've got all kinds of money in our retirement stuff. Maybe even have a separate house out somewhere we've bought out there to do something. We, are, we have reached that level of success in our company. They dang, this is it. This is awesome. We turn around one day and go, my wife and my kids don't like me very much. I was, what am I doing? What am I thinking? So I'm going to demolish that. I'll get rid of that one. And now I'm going to move over here to approval. Um, my kids are going to love me. I'm going to restore this marriage. I'm going to make this awesome. And all we've done there, again, it, it sounds great at the beginning, right? All it is, we've traded one idol over here, power and control over here for approval and affirmation. What God's going to tell us is don't do that. What you have to do is, uh, well, before I get to that, there's also another one that happens here before I move, move to what we need to actually do, is I even see this generationally. How many of you in here are 45 years old and plus? Someone's here. How many of you are 30 years old and below? Yeah, you got some of you. Yeah, you're not. So we have different generations. They give us different labels, right? There's the boomer generation. After the boomers came Gen X. 
And now then we started going bang, bang, bang. We got, generations got shorter, I guess. I don't know what happened there. But the millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z, Gen... Who knows? The boomers and the Xers all became about power, all about success, all about getting the money and, and all that kind of thing. And so what happened now is the millennials and the people that are in that 25 to 35 to 40-year-old range, uh, what you're doing is forget those idols. Let's just have quality of life. Let's just enjoy our family, enjoy our life. All we're gonna, and guys, I'm telling you right now, what will tend to happen is, it happened with the Xers. I saw it happen. I was right there in the middle when all that study was going on. The, the Gen X crowd was going, we want authenticity and reality. We want all that surface kind of stuff up here of just money and materialism and greed. So we're going to renounce all that. You know what happened to them? The dot-com boom went, went crazy. And they all became just like their parents. We're going we're to find an idol somewhere. If you don't make it God, you're going to find someone or something to be in there. And so instead of self-righteous training, what we need to do is recognize, first of all, recognize what our idols might be. That little chart I gave you today might be helpful. Get Keller's book and read it a little more if you want. But to identify what my idols might be. And rather than to give you that chart, I'm going to give you four or five questions here that might help you identify, remember, what your idol might be. This is not your job to be the idol identification police. And figure out everybody else, else are, or do this dumb thing. Well, kids these days. Stop doing kids these days, parents. Stop, talk about me these days. You'll be a better gift to your kids these days if you were about me these days. Here's some questions here. Where do my thoughts effortly just keep going? This is called daydreaming sometimes. But what if stuff just kind of goes through my thoughts all the time? A kind of follow-up to that is what am I talking about all the time? and posting about. Somebody brought this up this week. We actually have a record now of what's important to you on your social media accounts. And it might be good to go look at that. And guys, guys, we're not saying that just because you post a lot of things about your kids or about food you like or about your work or, or your church or whatever, that that's an idol for you. What we're saying here is just watch that. That might be a tendency. That might be something you have to make. I should pay attention to that because it seems like I got a lot of emphasis here on finding all this in my, in my life. How do I spend my money? You know, that's right. You know, because whatever you spend your money on is what you value the most because money talks. How do I respond to unanswered prayers and frustrated hopes? When I pray for something like crazy and it doesn't work, and that can be everything from sadness and disappointment to explosive rage. I've talked to a number of parents here at Crosspoint over the years who poured their heart and soul and life into their children. And they were not perfect parents, but they were great parents. And then at some point in there, these great parents had kids that just flipped on them and turned on them. And the, the depression, the despair, the, even the rage, I can't believe. I sacrificed myself. I gave and I gave and I gave. And they have the nerve to do that to me. You know what it tells you right there? Your child was your idol. Because they didn't turn out. You couldn't make them do what you wanted them to do. And because of that, and that's just that's one simple example. We do that all the time with all kinds of things. What about my uncontrollable emotions? Both positive and negative. Um, for those of you that are football fans, we hardly ever have positive emotions about the Chargers. 
We're just always disappointed and sad. <laughs> For those of you that are Dallas Cowboy fans, any Cowboy fans in here today? You're praying and fasting. That was awful last week. Man, that was, no, I'm telling you, that was, that was, that was I mean, I'm not, I get it, man. If I was a fan like that and watched that team go out and do that, because again, this is it. This is it. This is it. And then like, Pay attention to those. Emotions are a great thing that can be a dashboard, though, in your life. So pay attention to that. When that goes like this, or I get over-happy, over-excited about things, you might go, hmm, what's that telling me about my heart and my soul and what my idols might be? First of all, I have to recognize them. Now, the next blank has three words in it. Don't do the next three blanks there because you'll run out of blanks here. But the next one we have to do is to, uh, in that next blank, write it down, repent, reject, and renounce those idols. means we go to war against the idols of our hearts. What we want to sometimes do with idols is, I recognize it, so I probably shouldn't do it. I, you know, I came to church, and maybe I should get my life together here, so what we'll do is take a look. Here's the idol over here. I'm going to go... hide it over here, and I'm going to come back and be all about God and Jesus and all that kind of stuff, and then go, but if that doesn't work, I want to have the idol over here. What we have to do is, we read about it in the Old Testament. God tells them over and over again, take those idols, smash them to pieces, grind them into dust, and burn them. Be done with them. We need to renounce them, to reject them. We don't just put them in a closet. We go to war against them. And the next blank to write down there is replace we have to replace the false gods and replace those idols that we have out there that have made a mess out of our lives with something else. Because if we don't, if we just, how many of you have ever done like landscaping projects in your yard, especially if you have any bit of dirt out there and you get all the weeds out of it? If you don't plant grass or ground cover there, what happens in about, what, two days, two weeks, two months? All the weeds are there. The best way to get rid of the weeds in your life is not just to get rid of the weeds and just, it'll exhaust you. Not just get it empty, but put something good back in its place. Uh, Some ways to do that maybe. How to combat particular idols of these surface idols that might be out there. If if lust, pornography, sex has become your God, all that can be at times that kind of pleasure that comes from that is all about getting something. Just get, get, get for myself on that kind of thing. And what I do instead is instead of just getting, I'm going to give without getting anything in return. I'm just going to give and just give to somebody, give to my wife, give to somebody. Guys, sometimes too what you do is if you're struggling with lust and pornography and stuff like that, when a thought comes into your brain, to me to capture that thought and go, okay, God, that's wrong. It's evil. I don't want to do this. I want to renounce that God here. God, I don't even know that person out there that I've got these, uh, would you bless their life? I don't know if, who she's married to or who he's married to, what's going on in their life. Would you bless them? Would you turn that around? You know what starts to happen when you start praying for that person, you're giving to that person instead of taking from them? The lust goes away. It's amazing. So that's the struggle for you. Now again, I probably shouldn't say, I don't need to say it quite this bluntly. You shouldn't be on your computer looking at girls and guys and praying for them. Like don't go look at pornography and go, I'm going to pray for that girl right now. Stop it. No, guys, I'm only telling, I've done this now for 20 years. And the things people have come back and, well, Steve, you said I can look at pornography as long as I prayed for him. I'm like, no. 
Oh, gosh. Money, if money's the thing, materialism, greed is generosity. It's find ways to bless people. Bless your church. Bless people in your community. Just do generous things anonymously. Money would be great. If, it's all about power. If you're about power and success and going up there, one of the best ways to combat that idol in your life is to serve people at the, not at your, at your peer level, certainly them, serve people that are perceived below you on the org chart. In your family, that would be your children. And serve them anonymously. If you're in the workplace, once in a while you go in and you take out the trash and clean the bathroom in the workplace. And you don't do this to go, look at me, I'm a servant leader. That's all about power again, people thinking you're awesome. You do it quietly and honestly, nobody ever knows. What it does is it just diminishes you a bit and gets you out of all about climbing the ladder and getting more and more for yourself. Uh, comfort, if comfort is your thing, whether it, whatever it might be, whether it's what you watch on TV, it's what you, what you eat or drink or whatever, sometimes it's good to just give up and fast from certain core things once in a while just to get, make sure those things don't become central to your life. I'm telling you right now, I could probably go without eating a meal or two during the day more than I could go without this and putting this down for a day. I'm just telling you. It just, sometimes it's good just to fast from something. Even though it's nothing wrong with it, it just takes it becoming this dominant thing in your life. And honestly, guys, if all we do is recognize, repent, and replace, that's a good start, but it's not going to last. Because what's all about? That's all about suck it up, buttercup. Get rid of the idols, demolish them, and just put something in its place and willpower and determination. I want to tell you right here, the last thing to write down here is rejoice. Is rejoice in God. It's what, what Jesus says as he echoes what Jesus told Moses on a mountain thousands of years before Jesus showed up. He says, here's, here's the greatest thing you can do. Uh, what does God require of us? What's the greatest thing, greatest command? And Jesus says, it's not about believing in God. It's not about having faith in God. It's not about obeying God. It's not about serving God. You know what it is? Love God. Love God. Take joy and just be so stoked and excited about how amazing God is. Because I'm telling you guys right now, when you get to a place in your life where you are just so amazed by Jesus and so perplexed and blown away by Jesus, you know what happens to the idols of your life? They disappear. And not because, like, oh, I want the idol over here, because you're just so, you're so amazed by Jesus. There's a great little book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. It's written a couple hundred years ago by a guy named Thomas Chalmers. It's more like a little pamphlet. I'd encourage you to get it and read it. But he has a great quote in there that's so good. It says this, The best way to overcome the world is not with morality or self-discipline. Overcome the world by seeing the beauty and excellence of Christ. Overcome the world by seeing something more attractive than the world, Jesus. And guys, this is why every week we come here and our, our whole thing in here is not just to have great kids men and have those greeters out there doing name tags and all the welcome center kind of thing, great messages and sermons and great fantastic bands and worship. We don't want, I mean, we want to do all that stuff. But the thing we pray for every time is, God, we want people just to encounter you. Because if people get you and not just get you up here, but get get you in here, and there's joy and excitement in there, it's kind of weird. It's like the sin and the evil and the idolatry kind of takes care of it yourself. So the band's going to come up. We're going to take a chance today to do this, to see God in all of his goodness and all of his greatness and just have joy 
together today as we sing to God and sing about him. That's what music does for us. Because it's not just an intellectual exercise and taking notes on a note sheet, all that. We put all the note sheets down. You're not taking notes on worship songs. If you are, your God is power and control. Stop it. <laughs> We're just excited and stoked about Jesus. Just amazed, blown away by Jesus. We also give you a chance every time we come here to come and receive communion. And communion is simply uh, bread and juice that represent, represents what Jesus did when he died on the cross, that his body was a real body, flesh, and it had real blood that was taken on a cross and nailed there for us. And when you get this, as you receive communion today, that this God came and was tortured to death and took the wrath and judgment of God for an idol-loving idiot like me. It wasn't like I went, God, what, the, what am I doing here? What a moron I am. What a, I can't believe I did that to God. We were going, God, go away, leave me alone, and worship me all the false gods. And Jesus came here and said, I'll die for you. Because I want to don't just change your behavior. I want to change your heart. So come and receive communion today and be blown away by how amazing the love of God is. And then you may have come today with some things in your heart and mind and soul, your body, your health, your finances. You just need prayer. Our, people, our uh, team is in the back of the house today. would love to pray with you about that. And I'm just moved today for a second here to talk to you about this. Um, you may have some idols in your life right now. As we talk about this day, you go, there's some things in there. That's taken up way too big a place in my heart and my life. It's time to lay that down. It's time to put my foot on that and stomp it out. One of the best ways you could do that would be to go back and talk to people in our prayer team and let them pray for you about that. And then even maybe to come right here to these steps. And take a moment here, whether you stand here or just kneel down here and go, God, I'm laying this down here. I am leaving this here and I'm crushing it here before you. I'd encourage you to take a moment or two uh, to be brave enough to say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of playing around with this. I'm laying this stuff down because of the joy of how amazing Jesus is. So Jesus, today, I don't know what people's issues and problems and stuff is, but you know it. You know what it is, God, I'm asking you today. We are laying stuff down before you today. And God, whether or not we have major idols in our life or laying down, I'm just, I know my own life, like maybe not big, huge things right now, but God, do the work of giving me increasing, astounding measures of joy and exuberance for you today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.